Our gospel reading comes to us from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Listen for the gospel of God. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us hear your word to us this morning, your word of we are your beloved children and you are pleased with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of Micah's favorite songs right now is called Nothing Can Stop Me Now. It's he asks for it, he asks to listen to it pretty much every day in the car on the way to daycare. So we drive to daycare and he's like, I want to listen to planes because there's a picture of a plane on it. It's from the Disney planes movie. Um, I don't mind it. He also loves to listen to it on the way home and on the way work and on the way back. So I listen to it usually about two or three times a day. Um, it is, as the kids say, a banger, but I can't hear it right. Uh, the first line of the chorus is, today I've got to make a change. I cannot hear it any other way than, um, look to your God and make a change. That's not what the song's supposed to go. That's not how it's supposed to go, but I can only hear it that way. The first time I heard it, I was like, does that say, look to your God and make a change? Listen to it yourself when you get home. Uh, but but that, that line, look to your God and make a change, is very appropriate for Lent. Uh, both the upbeat tune and look to your God and make a change. Our bulletin cover this morning has a picture of a little kid smiling and pointing his finger and the word, repent! Because a few weeks ago, I was planning out songs for the first half of the year, and I got to Lent, and I started looking, for the, looking at the hymns for Lent, and wow. Um... I just want, I can't do this. This is not going to work. I'm going to show you what I mean. This is hymn number 79. Kind maker of the world, oh, hear the fervent prayer with many a tear poured forth by all the penitent who keep this holy fast of Lent. That's by Gregory the Great. There's also this one two pages later. Lord, who throughout these 40 days for us did fast and pray, Teach us with thee to mourn our sins and close by thee to stay. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I've done that. Look, I, I've, spent, I've been in a place of mourning my sins. I've prayed fervent prayers with many a tear. And I've, I've been face down on the floor begging God to get me right with God. And I don't ever want to be there again. <laughs> 
you know, in that place where you feel like God is mad at you, like you are the worst person who's ever existed in the history of existing, like your sins are the reason things have gone so horribly bad, and really God should just wipe you out of existence. And maybe, maybe there's a healthy version of mourning our sins that doesn't look like that, but I haven't found it, and I don't want to be there again. When I read these songs, I just thought, I don't want to do that. I want to be a decent enough person that I'm never doing that kind of repenting ever again. I want that to always be in the rearview mirror. But the thing about this, the thing about this kind of repenting, mourning and tears and crying over our sins, mourning and crying is not repenting. And repenting doesn't necessarily involve crying a lot of the time. Crying isn't repenting. Repenting isn't necessarily crying. And maybe having a strong emotional reaction will help you stick to your repentance, maybe. But sometimes it can be a substitute for repentance or, or an obstacle for repentance. And I've said it before, repenting means you're going one way and then you turn and you go a different way. And that's not necessarily like a physical thing. It's a spiritual change. You're going one direction, you're doing one thing, and then you make a change and go do something else. One of my friends shared something a professor at his school said I thought was really insightful. He said, if repentance doesn't bring you joy, you're doing it wrong. If repentance doesn't bring you joy, you're doing it wrong. I have struggled with Lent pretty much every year that I've been a pastor because, you know, the repentance I had to do in the churches I grew up in was really rough. Uh, my first year as a pastor, I told Reverend Lori Hartzell of First Presbyterian Church my hang-ups with repentance, and that's how we ended up doing the backpacks one where we came in here... I don't know if anybody here was there for that, but Lori and I filled up our backpacks with spiritual-seeming stuff and hiked up to the front of the sanctuary and emptied all of this stuff that was weighing us down. Well, physical representations for that. Last Ash Wednesday, we looked at a way to change that would leave us carrying less than we started by community. So, the series this Lent is a lighter Lent. And I'm going to invite folks to repent of some things. And uh, this week it's running errands for the devil. I, came, I coined that phrase a couple years ago um, when, I, when I found a different way to read the temptation of Jesus. Because uh, what's interesting about the temptation Jesus faces is that in all three of the synoptic gospels, <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John doesn't have Jesus being tempted at all, which is fascinating. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the temptations happen immediately after Jesus is baptized and a voice from heaven says, you are my son, the beloved, and you I am well pleased, or some variety on that. You're my son, the beloved, and you I'm well pleased. Temptation. Immediately in that order. I guess in Luke, there's like a little genealogy between there, but 
you know, that's not a narrative event that happens between there. It's immediately after that. You are my son, the beloved. Temptation. The lectionary gave us Mark's gospel this year, and if you, it, it doesn't describe the temptations, uh, but in Matthew and Luke, two of the temptations start, if you are the son of God, then do this thing, command stones to become bread, jump off the temple. Um, in Luke, those are the first two temptations. In Matthew, they're the first and the last. If you are the son of God, do this thing that I think you should do. It's really fascinating because God literally just said, this is my beloved son. The temptation there is if you're really God's beloved, then you have to do this and this and this and this thing. God didn't say that. The devil said that. The Satan said that. Uh, the Hebrew hasatan means the accuser. And I've done that. I've walked into that one more times than I would care to admit. It's especially hard when you're fresh into this newfound experience of having been a Christian most of your life, and then you have this profound religious experience, and you're like, I just want to do something great for God, something big, like your life needs to radically change in some way. You want to make some kind of grand gesture, and boy, does the devil have suggestions. If you have, if you want to do something great and, and big for God, the devil has Lots of ideas of things that you can do for God that have nothing to do with loving God and loving your neighbor. Seems like there's always some pastor, writer, theologian who's happy to fill the need of, well, I heard a voice from God calling me to beloved, so what should I do to prove that? For me, it was a book about how when you're really being obedient to God, you have to be under godly authority. Even when you're adult, and that means you go back and live with your parents and treat them with the same deference you did when you were a kid because God's your authority. This book also said that if you're a woman, then your husband is your authority and, you know, you, you have to do what that person says. And it was just like, ugh. But I did it and it was only much later that I came to realize that these things I was doing or being tempted to do for God weren't actually things that God wanted me to do. They had nothing to do with loving my neighbor. There was no kindness in them. There was nothing good for the world in it. It was just brought on by anxious navel-gazing. There was no good reason other than some fancy wordsmithing and randomly stitching verses together to build some kind of creepy cultish theology turned out to be harmful to me and useless for the world at best, or harm, yeah, and harmful to me and the world at worst. I was actually in Meyer last night, literally last night, getting Micah some new shoes, and I walked past the book section, and I saw the name of the author, and I was like, no, 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 and I just pulled the other books out and slid his book behind there. It's not a cool book. Um, anyway, I borrowed some of this from a blog post I wrote in November 21, November of 21. I also borrowed this. Uh, to be extra clear, I don't think it makes me a bad person to have fallen for that. It happened because of a sincere faith. Misguided, but sincere. 
It took me a long time to identify that as running errands for the devil rather than, you know, I'm just being obedient to God. It's been super transformative to identify it as busy work I got sent off on rather than what God wanted me to do because I don't have to worry anymore that God's going to send me off to do something like that. And the fact that I can identify it as such now makes me more likely to be able to identify similar tactics in the future. Love God, love your neighbor. Don't go running errands for the devil, doing stuff some pastor hammered together a few verses to say, this is the thing that I believe God says you absolutely must do if you're the beloved of God. Yeah, don't do that. You are the beloved of God. Live in that. Live out of that. Love God, love your neighbor. Don't fall for the devils. If you're really the beloved of God, then you'll do this thing that I think you should do. Whatever that, sin, whatever that thing is, don't do it. Just don't. It'll be easier. It'll be better. So repent, as the sermon title says, of running little errands for the devil. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to live in the sure confidence of being your beloved and not to fall into those little traps of if you really are the beloved of God, then you'll do this. Help us to trust in your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.